0: Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. We hope you enjoy today's episode. How'd spring break go? Woo! Woo! That, y'all scared me with that. I guess that means it went good, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some of y'all made it back, right? Some of y'all made it back. Hey, I want you to know, there was a lot of different ministries that did a lot of different spring break trips over spring break, and I gotta tell you, I am proud to know that I led a spring break trip, and a BCM trip that uh, did not have any layovers, did not have any delays, and got back on time. Isn't that good? Y'all, That fell really flat. I'm sorry. Y'all be praying for a few of our students that stayed in airports for like 60 hours. We'll just say that. Good gracious. I feel bad for those folks, like for real. Y'all just, uh, y'all give Scout and Eli a hard time next time you see them. That's all (laughs) I'll say, right? Where are they at? Bunch of bums. I'm just kidding. Scout and Eli... I hope y'all listen to this podcast. Y'all need to start the podcast like before I say all this. Y'all got it this week? We love you. We're praying for you. All right, we're lo- we love you and we're praying for you. And we're, we're, we're sorry that you experienced what you experienced in the airport in Fort Lauderdale. So anyways, with that in mind, uh, go ahead, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 18. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 18 uh let me also bring your attention to the fact that it is it is spring break is over but we are now it, it is not the end of the year right it is easy to go spring break is over it's the end of the year we don't do anything else but we've got a lot more to do and we've got a lot more to do fast and so I want to make sure that you, I, I hit on a couple of those things just very quickly if I can um I guess not this weekend but next weekend uh we have something that they call like Christmas or something like that around here isn't that right yeah what's that thing called it's redefined it's our women's ministry event that happens each semester and it's going to be amazing it's at first Baptist Watkinsville men we're not leaving you out okay we are that weekend but this Friday we have a men's ministry event Uh, we have a licensed Christian therapist we'll keep it at that uh, that is coming to speak to our men Um, and uh, yeah just read the screen all right and so Friday we'll have food at 6, I believe, isn't that right? Yeah? And then we'll have a really fun talk, all right? And so uh, you want to make sure that you're a part of that, all right? Um, and then uh, Monday night, I'm really excited about Monday night. We're going to be at Tate. Our band is going to be leading in worship at Tate. And we have the privilege of having J.D. Greer with us. Um, Some people have said, who is J.D. Greer? Well, let me tell you who J.D. Greer is. J.D. Greer is the pastor of Summit Church. It's one of our Baptist churches. They have 12 campuses in the Raleigh-Durham area um, and all around that area. Um, In in 2018, the Gospel Coalition wrote an article about Summit Church. And uh, in 2018, they celebrated sending out their 1,000th missionary in the 15 previous years. At that point, they had planted more than 40 churches in the United States and more than 200 overseas. Uh, In 2017, the church plants in the United States surpassed the attendance of those 12 campuses uh, in Raleigh-Durham. And that is unheard of for that to take place where the church plants are actually running more combined than the mother church is. And then what I will also tell you is this... Um, Summit Church sends seven times more international missionaries than any other Southern Baptist church in the United States of America. That is insane. Seven times more. And so uh, J.D. Greer has written a whole bunch of books. He wrote Above All. He wrote a book that was famous for a while called Quit Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, um, which was basically about actually having assurance in your salvation. Um, and not being that kid that gets saved every single summer at camp. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Um, he's, uh, he's written a, a book called Gospel, which explains truly what the gospel is and how it can, can just completely uh, change your life. Uh, he's written a book um, also called uh, Gaining by Losing, uh, which really emphasizes the DNA of their church, which is that um, your church actually gains by sending people out. It gains by sending people out. They have a goal right now that by the year 2038, they will have missionaries and have impacted 100 countries around the world. That's their goal by 2038. Um, There's nobody better that I know of at mobilizing students and college students and church members for the gospel and for the international mission field and for church planning than JD. And so we've asked him here for that very specific reason, that very specific reason. Um, because J.D. Greer is well known in the Southern Baptist Convention, sometimes people like to, to, to argue about different ideas and personalities and so forth, and I, and I can tell you this, um, I don't really care about all that, I do care about the stuff that matters, don't get me wrong, but I don't care about all that because what I do care about is the fact that on Monday night, uh, we have, who I regard as the best sender that is out there in the church world at sending and mobilizing his people for international missions, and national missions or stateside missions. And so we've asked him to come. Our churches are all coming together on this. Uh, Adam Tarver guaranteed me that we would see at least 125 Prince Avenue students that would be at this thing. Um, and so if you're a Prince student, you better take that challenge. All right, I'm just telling you. Uh, the rest of you get your church buddies here. Uh, don't let Prince outdo you. You know what I'm saying? Right? And so you get them here. Uh, It's going to be a tremendous night. If you have any, 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 any inkling at all about missions, you don't want to miss it. The IMB is going to be here and have a table. Uh, The North American Mission Board is going to be here and have a table as well. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, If there is anything that we do this semester that can impact not just now on our campus, but impact how we function as a ministry when it comes to missions and ministering to this campus, and not only that, but mobilizing students to impact more than just the University of Georgia, but impact our country for the gospel, to impact the world for the gospel, this next Monday night could be that night. So do not miss this next Monday night. You got that? All right. And so it's going to be extremely important that you are there. If you have a test, just skip it. I just told you that, literally. All right. Don't skip a test. Pray that we don't have any tests. What I will tell you is this. Do not use studying as an excuse to miss Monday night prioritize your life now for this next week. You need to look at your calendar when you leave here tonight and you need to say, what does my next Monday look like? And you need to prioritize to make sure that you're at Tate at eight o'clock. Probably a little before that because sometimes parking in that parking deck is pain in the butt. All right? So prioritize that now so that you can give yourself two hours on Monday night. All right? Take a break from whatever you got going on. You give yourself those two hours and I want to challenge you to bring somebody with you. This is an event that if you've got buddies in crew, you've got buddies in other ministries, and they, and they truly love the gospel, this is an event they need to be at. This is an event that they need to be at. And so we've been working on this for a while, and I'm excited about Monday night. So that's going on on Monday night as well. Um, now, can you tell how important that is to me? Can you? Yeah? You can at all, right? Yes, you can. So. Let's make sure that we show up and show out. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 18, let's get caught up real quick. We're right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, right? And uh, we just got through right before spring break talking about righteous relationships. And uh, it it was a great time had by all of us as we basically looked at the fact that uh, what Jesus does there is he says, here's how you ought to treat everybody and here's how you ought to function in the world. Uh, and he says, Here's the standard that the law has set. And that's not even good enough because the standard is really higher. And then we're left with this oh, go and be perfect. And so we left ourselves with this situation that ultimately none of us are perfect. None of us can meet that standard. It doesn't mean we don't try to live righteously. It doesn't mean that we don't try to live holy. But the reality is is that none of us can meet that standard. And so it's a very good thing that at the end of this sermon, which we will eventually get to, and I'll preach an entire sermon on the end of this sermon, and that is is that Jesus does tell us that's why we must build our house upon the rock, right? And have him as our firm foundation. And so ultimately, though, Uh, We know that without Jesus we are hopeless because none of us can meet that standard. Now, this week what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 18. Many of you have learned chunks of chapter 6 before. Uh, We see the Lord's Prayer, that's what we call it here in chapter 6. Matter of fact, if you played sports in high school or at any age, you might have repeated this before you played games and so forth. Uh, this was originally going to be two sermons, I was going to break it into two weeks, but because we kind of talked about what revival is back during all the Asbury stuff, uh, we wanted to make sure that we still covered all this, so I combined it into one week. And I got to be honest with you, um, I'm really kind of excited that we did, because otherwise what would have happened is that I would have done a very, very, very Sunday schoolish sort of sermon on prayer and fasting, uh, and, and I'm not saying that would have been bad, but it would have probably ended up being more one of those how-to's. And we might have, if we not combine this, missed the point that Jesus was trying to make. Because what Jesus does in verse 1 through verse 18 is he really sets up for us this idea of what are our motives, of answering the question, what are our motives? And so we're going to read from verse 1 through verse 18 of chapter 6 in Matthew, and then we're going to simply look at this idea of the fact that we must have righteous motives in everything that we do. So beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you tonight as we look at this, help us, Lord, to examine our own hearts And Lord, to make sure that our motives are righteous and our motives are pure. Lord, we understand that there are things, that there are spiritual disciplines in this life that you've called us to do that help us in our walk with you. Lord, help us not to negate through what we see tonight in your scripture, those spiritual disciplines, but instead, Lord, help us to recognize that there is a purpose behind those. And Lord, in no way, shape, form, or fashion is that purpose about us. It is completely about you. And so, Lord, help our motives in everything we do, not to make something that is meant to be good, bad, because of unrighteous and impure motives, but instead, Lord, help us to make sure that we are doing the things you've called us to do out of a good heart, out of a right heart, and Lord, for the right reasons. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So here, once again, Jesus is flipping things upside down with this sermon. He's actually, in a lot of ways, calling out the Pharisees uh, for their motives, if there was ever a passage to read and see where uh, religious activities are going to fall short when it comes to pleasing God, this is the place to look. Because here we really see ultimately three spiritual disciplines that Jesus uses to make his point. And that point is that it's not about rituals, it's not about actions, it's not about what we do, but ultimately it is about the motives of the heart. And so the first three things I want you to see is that in verse 1 through verse 4, Jesus is going to give us this example of Giving. Then in verse 5 through verse 15, he's going to talk about prayer. And then in verse 16 through verse 18, he's going to talk about fasting. Throw those up there if you haven't. I think that's the next slide. There you go. Spiritual disciplines question our motives. Giving, prayer, and fasting. So let me ask you a question very quickly. Is it a bad thing to give to the poor? Is it? No. Is it a bad thing to serve those who are underprivileged? No, it's not. Is it a bad thing to pray? No, is it a bad thing to pray privately? Is it a bad thing to pray corporately? No, is it a bad thing to fast? No, absolutely not. Can giving to the poor strengthen your faith? Absolutely. Can giving to the local church or to other ministries that then support those ministries to the poor, can it strengthen your faith? 100%. Absolutely. Can it set your heart in a place in which you begin to trust God with things and hold things with open hands? 100% absolutely can prayer ultimately change your life 100% yes it can can it align you with the will of God yes it can does the Bible promise us that the faithful fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much yes it does is prayer a bad thing absolutely not prayer is a good thing you should be praying right if you walk out of here tonight and you say well this means I should never give I should never help anybody or this means that I should only pray in my closet by myself at my house you've missed the point you got it If you walk out of here today and you say, I should never fast, you've missed the point. Now, we don't hear a lot about fasting today, right? I think that's partly because we live in the United States of America and we like to eat a lot, right? And so fasting becomes difficult for many of us. But but can fasting help you to focus your attention on God? 100%. Can it help you to understand what it means to give something up and instead to give that time to God? Yes. By the way, I would add if you are in the process of fasting or whatever and all you're doing is fasting for the sake of fasting to say you're fasting, that's not the point. The point is, is that during that time in which you fast, whatever you're giving up, you then devote that to, guess who? To God. Right? So instead of eating, we pray. You you see what I'm saying? Right? Instead of doing whatever else it is you've given up or whatever, you spend that time with God. And so ultimately, these are not bad things. But yet, in these three spiritual disciplines, what we see happen is that Jesus calls out the Pharisees and says, Hey, what are your motives? What are your motives? And so, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take an overarching look at these three things that Jesus talks about, and we're gonna ask ourselves the question Is our motives for man? Or is our motives for God? Are our motives for man? Or are our motives for God? And we're gonna simply do that by looking at this passage of Scripture and seeing what the characteristics of these motives, if our motive is for man, how that plays out. And so, what those characteristics are. If we look in verse 1, verse 5, verse 7, and verse 16, we see that if our motive is for man, that number one, we have a desire to be seen by man. We have a desire to be seen by man. Verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. To be noticed by them. Verse 5 says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. And then it says this, so that they may be seen by men. Do you see that in verse 5? You go down to verse 7 there and it says this. And when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetitions. For they suppose they will be heard. And then it says there in verse 16, uh, that ultimately, that uh, when you fast, you shouldn't put on a gloomy face. As the hypocrites do. Why? Because they want to be noticed by men when they are fasting. Have you ever met somebody that's always telling you about how spiritual and how religious and how righteous they are? Y'all know what I mean? By the way, if you're teaching a Sunday school class one day, or you become a pastor one day, or you're leading a group of anything in ministry one day, adults, men, women, children, whatever, I want to encourage you to do something. Okay, if you notice, um, like, you have to use illustrations a lot of times to make points, right? Right? But I, I, had a, I, had a, I went on a, a camp as a student one time. I guess I was probably ninth, 10th grade. And uh, we had a lady who was uh, doing some of our breakout sessions at that camp. And after like three days of it, I noticed that every single time she gave an illustration, her illustration was talking about what she had done well in her spiritual walk with Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Man, the, the problem is I knew this lady right back home. Man, if only she had been that spiritual. Y'all get what I'm saying? Right? And so there is something to be said about the fact that you've probably all experienced that. Where somebody can tell you everything you're supposed to know about Scripture. Somebody can tell you how you should live your life because of how they're living their life. And so inherently in this, I, I, I do want to say this. Sometimes that's just people not understanding or, or not having social cues and so forth, right, and, and understanding social cues. I don't want to say everybody that does that it has the wrong motives, but I will tell you this. You, it does matter what people think about your motives. It really does. And so ultimately, what I would say is that's not the best practice to use. Now, if you want to use illustrations of yourself to make fun of yourself, that's great, right? But that's not the best practice to use. And many of you are going to end up being Sunday school teachers, and many of you are going to end up leading small groups, and many of you are going to end up doing all these other things, and so I would even tell our dog pack leaders that are in the room tonight. If every single time you use an example or an illustration, it, it sort of sets you as being sort of, even if it's not intentional, as sort of greater than the rest of the group, stop it. Start finding other illustrations. All right. Ask somebody else in the room to give the examples, etc. All right. And so why? Because ultimately we need to ask or, or check our, our, our motives And what we see is that if your motives are for man, that if we're not careful, what will happen is, is that we will do things so that we are seen by man in a certain way. We will sound a trumpet. We will stand and pray. We will fast and neglect appearances, literally walking around looking sad, making sure everybody knows how sad, upset, and how hungry we really are. What's really uh, scary when you think about this whole idea of fasting is that realistically, Um, They were only required to fast on the day of atonement once a year But the pharisees just to make sure everybody knew they were a little more super spiritual than everybody else Fasted every monday and thursday Every monday and thursday they must have stayed pretty thin that's all i'm saying right They fasted every monday and thursday why because the day of atonement wasn't enough They took something that was good they made it about themselves Because they had a desire to be seen by man. Not only that, but notice in verse 2, verse 5, and verse 16. Notice what Jesus says. This is a great warning. If you just read this out of context, you go, well, that sounds good to me. But in verse 2, verse 5, and verse 16, Jesus says that their reward is in full. He says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. In verse 5, he says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. In verse 16, he says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It's really scary when you think about it. Jesus just calls these guys out and says, hey, if you're doing all this stuff for man, if you're doing all this stuff that you just want to be seen, he says, if you're going to pray, don't do it so everybody can hear you. Don't use all these repetitions, right, just so everybody can hear you. He actually calls that babbling. Like you can take what he says there about the meaningless repetitions, and it's where we get the word like babbling from, right? Literally, y'all, y'all know the Tower of Babel, right? All right, y'all know. And, and, and so ultimately out of the Tower of Babel, people get spread about. And, and what do they speak in now? Different what? Languages, right? All across the world, different languages. Right? And so we know, we hear the word like somebody's babbling today. It's like we think we think of, we think of what? Like you, you don't understand what they're saying because you're like blah, 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 right? Just running their mouth. Right? And so here what we see is, is, that, is that Jesus says, look. If you're praying and you're just doing these meaningless repetitions, nobody even knows what you're talking about, dude. If you're just standing up making sure you're in public so everybody can hear you and you're using all these big famous words, nobody even knows what you're talking about. Right? And and then he says what? He says if you walk around fasting in your side, nobody knows what you're talking about. But he says this. This is interesting. He says they get their reward in full. What is their reward? Does their reward last? You know what their reward is? Exactly what they desire. Everybody sees them. Everybody sees them. They do what they do so that everybody sees them. Their motive is they want man to look upon them and go, look how good and awesome they are. And as a result of that... Jesus says, "Yeah, they got their reward." If their reward in full is just what they desired, that everybody sees them, what are they missing? They're missing what's greater, aren't they? They're missing a heavenly reward, aren't they? You ever heard it said, "If you shoot for the moon, you'll never the moon, you'll never reach the stars." You ever heard that say? You've heard the opposite: shoot for the stars, you might reach the moon. <laughs> he says they're the opposite. I've heard them both. In your spiritual life, listen: if all you're doing is shooting for man's praise, you're gonna miss what god desires for you because man's praise is empty it's easy to get that full reward so we see they have a desire to be seen by man we see they will receive their reward in full human recognition is the end it is the end all be all no more than that and then he uses that word in verse 2 verse 5 and verse 16 that we like to throw around sometimes when we're angry at the church hypocritical right he calls them hypocrites This is what a real hypocrite is, right? Not just somebody that is a broken, fallen, sinful person like the rest of us, right? No, this this is somebody whose motives and heart is wrong. The outside doesn't match the inside, and he says that it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Verse 7. When I think about this idea of just searching within your own heart and asking yourselves, what are my motives? I realize wholeheartedly that sometimes that's hard to do. I do. And here's why. Because most human beings on the face of this earth enjoy being liked. Do we not? This room is full of people pleasers. It's What most of us are. And so if we're not careful, what happens is, is that we go, well, I got to get in line with my peer group, right? You ever met somebody that's like a chameleon? You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like they're with one group and they act one way and then they're with another group and they act another way. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? They got their church friends and then they got their non-church friends. Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all get what I'm saying? Some of you are like, quit talking, Tommy. You're talking about me. That is a very dangerous place to be. And here's why. Because if you're able to function as a chameleon, when you begin to take sort of a internal look at your motivations for why you do what you do you might just find that you're doing what you're doing for the praise of man so if you're sitting here tonight and you know that it's just as easy for you to go live like the world on a weekend as it is to be in here on a Monday night or even at a church service on a Sunday if you're sitting in here tonight you're like man I got certain friends that I really don't necessarily want to hang out with my other friends Because I don't know how well that would mesh. I'm not telling you you shouldn't have lost friends. You better have lost friends. Because that's the only way you ever see somebody come to know Jesus. But there's a difference between having lost friends who you're impacting. Versus having lost friends who are living like the world. Who when you get around them you just also act like the world. Because if that's what you're doing. You're no better than the Pharisees. You're doing exactly what they were doing in front of the religious people of the day. And honestly, if that's what you're doing in the world, but then you get here on a Monday or in your doll pack or in your small group at church or at your services on Sunday mornings and then you act differently, when you're here, you're doing nothing different than what the Pharisees are doing. got really quiet. Our faith is not about rituals. Our faith is not about how many times you go to church. Our faith is not about how you pray. Or or how many times you pray. Our faith is not about... Look, I'll never forget when my dad was pastoring in Columbus. He told me one time that there was this guy... That would send checks to the church. Didn't live in Columbus. But he would send checks to the church. And my dad never saw what people gave. But this would always be like in an envelope that would come to the office. Y'all get what I'm saying? Right? This dude had never like really stepped foot in the door. But man, he was sending his check. Now we we didn't send it back. I'm sure my dad used it for ministry. Right? But sending that tithe wasn't going to get that man into heaven. Do you see what I'm saying? There's story after story after story, particularly in the south in communities, where you would have important figures within cities and towns and counties who would go to whatever the main church in that city, town, and county was. Why? Because they had to keep up appearances, right? Do you see what I'm saying? And we're quick to go, yeah, look at them, they shouldn't do that. But when you take a little bit of an inventory of your own heart, I just want you to answer the question, do I do what I do, whether it's good or bad, just because I want to be liked, just because I want to please others, just because I want people to look at me a certain way, do you do it for man? So what's the opposite? Well, the opposite is that you do it for God. See, notice what he says. He says you should give in secret. You should pray in your inner room. Again, this isn't saying corporate prayer is bad. But but it's saying that, look, if if you pray corporately for the simple fact that you want people to hear you pray. And you want them to know how many thous you can use and big words you can use in the King James Version of the Bible. Come on. pretty sure God didn't speak old English anyways right I think he speaks all languages I would assume but I mean like Jesus didn't speak old English right don't promote your fasting you know nobody should really know if you're fasting y'all know that (laughs) I love this time of year because it's like Lent right Yeah. My favorite thing is like the first day of Lent when everybody goes on social media and says what they're going to give up. Like, good for you. I'm an evangelical Southern Baptist. I ain't giving up anything. Jesus died and rose from the grave three days later, so I wouldn't have to. That's what I say. That's a joke. But I mean, I, seriously, like, dude, come on. The Lord's prayer. Notice what Jesus does here. Jesus says, quit having your meaningless repetition. Boy, this is a this is, ooh, this is a tough one. Because when you're a little kid, like you're teaching little kids to pray, like, what do they all do? <laughs> they like repeat themselves, right? I have four children right and I can tell you like when Reese prays at night to go to bed I can I can assure you of what about 90% of what she's going to pray is going to be y'all know what I'm talking about every once in a while it's like hey just talk to God I am daddy and I get it to her it's important that we wake up the next morning and that we have a good night's sleep and that we have a good day tomorrow like you know you know what I'm saying right that's important to her So I'm not telling her to quit praying those things. I I want her to wake up the next morning too, right? Like, I'm not telling her to quit praying those things. But what I am saying is, it's like if we're not careful, because that's what we're taught when we're little, right? We pray when we go to bed, and we pray about 90% of the same prayer before we go to bed. And then we pray before we eat. We pray about 90% of the same prayer before we eat, right? And then we pray at church before service, right? We pray about 90% of the same prayer there, right? I mean, you can, depending on who it is, that's opening up the service in prayer, praying before an offering. We don't really do that anymore because we don't, like, take the offering, offerings up like that anymore thanks to COVID, right? But, like, you can, I mean, into the service, like, whichever guy gets up there or lady gets up there to pray in a certain setting, like, you probably could write it down in, like, a notebook what they're going to say, couldn't you? I don't think people, like, are, I don't, I don't want you to, like, now run around and be like, yeah, they got bad motives. That's not the point. The point that I'm making is this. Is that if we're not careful, we'll get in this ritualistic stuff, and that doesn't matter. And when it comes to prayer, what Jesus says is this. He says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. By the way, that doesn't mean don't pray. I had somebody tell me one time. I mean, if God knows everything, why in the world do I need to pray anyways? He's going to provide it all. And I was like, that's not the point. Matter of fact, what is the point? Well, here it is. Pray in this way. See, this is not a substitute prayer. Now, we like to do it before sporting events. You know, every football team in America prays the Lord's Prayer beforehand, right? But that's not what it is. It's not a substitute. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice what he's doing. He's setting this thing up. He's giving glory to God. He's praying for his kingdom and his will. Then he gets into what's our needs. It's our daily bread. Then he says, forgive us. Then he says, don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Then he says, yours is the kingdom and power. and Glory forever and ever. One theologian said it this way, he said, The purpose of the Lord's prayer is to glorify God's name and to ask for help to accomplish His will on earth. This is the purpose of all prayer. This prayer begins with God's interest, not ours. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. We should not ask God for anything that will dishonor His name, delay His kingdom, or disturb His will on earth. When's the last time you prayed that way? Man, you want to reveal motives in someone's life? For these things that are spiritual disciplines. Look to prayer. Look to prayer. You want to do a self inventory of where you're at. On what your motives are. Look to prayer. Because that will tell you very quickly. That will tell you very very quickly. It's significant that the Lord's prayer shows up. In the middle of a passage about our motives. And it begs the question, A, whose kingdom are we trying to build? A, whose kingdom are we trying to build? B, whose name are we trying to glorify? And C, whose will are we desiring to follow? So here's where this finishes tonight. Y'all are like, man, the clock ain't even hit zero. But you front people, look around. Turn around, turn around right now. Turn around. Look at that clock right there. Y'all see that? I got four minutes and 47 seconds and I'm done. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah I'm a Baptist. I got to close still. Hold tight. Look. What I want you to do tonight is this I don't want you to try to stop doing the things that you're doing. That help you grow in your faith. I don't want you to say. Oh well I'm I'm just not going to do anything anymore. That's related to church or praying. or anything." That's dumb. That's not what I'm saying. But what I do want you to do. Is to look at this verse 1 through verse 18. And to literally ask yourself these three questions. Because the answer to these three questions. Will tell you whether or not. What you're doing is for man. Or what you're doing is for God. And by the way, this ought to be really, really easy to understand. Is Jesus telling us to do everything in secret? Is that the point of what he's saying? No. If you did everything in secret, you couldn't fulfill the Great Commission. He's not telling you to do everything in secret. But what he is telling you to do is this. Quit bragging about how spiritually disciplined you are. Because when you do that, what you're doing is you're bragging in such a way because you're playing for the name on the back of the jersey instead of the name on the front of the jersey. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Live your life for Jesus, not for you. This ought to be really easy to understand. We're the University of Georgia. When you go to a basketball game, well, we can't say that anymore. Okay, when you go to a baseball game. Sorry, did I say that? It was funny, wasn't it? It's bad when I laugh at my own stuff. When you go to a baseball game, when you go to any other sporting event, at some point during that game, there's going to be a video that's played that's going to ask everybody in the stands to commit to give their money into this one big pot. And out of that big pot, it's that collective thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it's used for this thing called name, image, and likeness. NIL. Y'all know what I mean? Do y'all know what's happened across the landscape of Division I athletics, especially football these days? Players are going to the highest bidder. Aren't they? Who gives you the most money? It's not a secret. It's not a secret that not just here at the University of Georgia, but across the SEC, there have been literally starters. Starters. Not guys like it used to be that were like fifth year seniors and never got to play and said, I'm going to transfer as a grad transfer. No starters, sophomores, juniors, freshmen, starters. And you know what happens? Yeah, they're not supposed to meddle, that's what they say. But somebody comes calling or somebody tells somebody else to let them know. And the next thing you know, the season ends and you go, Where did they go? Why are they going to this state? Why are they going to that state? I'm trying not to use any states in particular, okay? Because this is going to be on a podcast. But you understand what I mean? It's to the highest bidder. Do you know why? Because money entered into the picture. And when money entered into the picture, it became about, guess what? Not just money, but themselves. Name, image, likeness is exactly what it means. It's about their name, their image, and their likeness. You got to ask yourself the question. Kid comes to University of Georgia now. Is he coming because he really loves the University of Georgia and he wants to play for the University of Georgia? Or is he coming because he feels like that that can help his NIL the most? Now, this has nothing to do with some political statement about NIL. What it has everything to do with is this. We act the same stinking way about our relationship with Jesus if we're not careful. Because we will live our life worried about our own name, image, and likeness. When what we ought to be doing is identifying in Jesus' name, image, and likeness. Do you hear me? And what we ought to be doing, instead of having our motives be about how does this make me look, what's the easiest way for me to do what I think God wants me to do, right? What's going to lead to my most comfortable life, right? What we ought to be doing is answering these questions by saying, whose kingdom are we trying to build, Tommy's or God's? We ought to say God's. Whose name are we trying to glorify? Tommy's or God's? The BCM's or God's? Your local church or Jesus' name? Which one are you lifting up? And whose will are we desiring to follow? Mine, yours, or Jesus's? We need to quit acting like a bunch of greedy athletes who are just chasing the latest NIL IL deals for their own name, image, and likeness. And instead, we need to surrender to the will of God in our lives. We don't throw away all these spiritual disciplines, but we do consistently and constantly look back at our lives And we need to ask ourselves the questions. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Let me get real personal for just a second. Y'all know me. I hate losing. I love winning. I am extremely task driven. It's my personality. And I'm leading a ministry at the University of Georgia. If I'm not careful, I'll find myself very quickly in a place where I'll say, I'm trying to build, at the best, BCM's kingdom, at the worst, Tommy's kingdom. If I'm not careful, I'll say, I'm trying to glorify, at the best, BCM's name, at the worst, Tommy's name. If I'm not careful, I'll say, this is what I want our ministry to be. For those of you going into ministry, you better guard against that. Those of you going into missions, you better guard against that. Because it ain't about us. See, that's the trap the Pharisees had fallen into. If I know that I have to guard against that, then I know you have to guard against it in your own personal life as well. Look, I want you to be the best doll pack leader you can possibly be if you're applying to lead a doll pack next year. By the way, you should get your applications in by midnight tomorrow for all of those leadership positions. But I don't want you. I'm just telling you right now. If you're applying for a leadership position, isn't this amazing how this merges with where we're at in the life of our ministry right now? If you're applying for a leadership position because you want something on a resume, you better go delete your application. I don't even know if that's possible. But you just quietly send me a text and I will tell you, hey, we'll take it off. Don't worry. I don't want you on our leadership team if that's why you're doing it. Is that clear? If you tell us you're only willing to serve in one or two positions and not on a serve team if you don't get those positions, you don't need to be on our leadership team. Before you hit submit by midnight, tomorrow night, and I know most of you will do it at 11.55 or 11.59, you better ask yourself these three questions. Do you see what I'm saying? Why? Because what we need, what our churches need, what this campus needs, what our city needs, what our communities across the globe needs, is we need people who are not worried about the name on the back of their jersey. That's their last name. Y'all got that? That's what's on the back of like a sports uniform? Okay, good. want we'll to make sure we knew that. What we need is people who surrender fully to Jesus and are just willing to do whatever Jesus asked them to. That's what we need. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Boy, I said four minutes. I just took a stinking 12-minute conclusion. Thought I was going to make it. Right now, with your heads bowed, eyes closed, I want you to ask those three questions. Just within your own heart and life. Whose kingdom are you trying to build? Whose name are you trying to glorify? And whose will are you desiring to follow? If Jesus is not the answer to any of those, just even a single one of those, in anything you're doing that's ministry or service related, Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When we begin to sing, instead of singing, you just need to pray. And you just need to say, God, I'm sorry. And you just need to ask him to break your heart, to break your will, to break your spirit. And then there may be one of you in here tonight that says, Tommy, none of this really made much sense to me because I'm not following Jesus. Well, that's a problem, too. We can get that right. Because if you're in here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, you've never truly become a follower of him. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. but The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died for us so that he could be the sacrifice of our sin. And then he rose three days later. And the Bible tells us if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that we will be saved. Because with the heart we believe to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So if you're sitting in here tonight and you say, Tommy, I've never followed God's will in my life because I'm not one of his. But you know what? Even in the midst of this crazy sermon that you preach to Christians, I know I need to know Jesus. And what I want to give you the opportunity to do is right now to call out to him and ask him to save you. You say, how do I do that? Well, exactly like I just said. You confess to him that you're a sinner. And you confess to him that you know that he is Lord and that he is Savior and he died for you and rose three days later and you confess to him and ask him to forgive you of your sin and to save you and he will so maybe that's what you need to do just in these next moments maybe you're here and you're like Tommy I, I just need something I need to talk about well that's good because we got cards in your seats you can grab one of those you can write us a note Maybe you just need to share with us that you've given your life to Christ tonight. Maybe you've got something else you're asking us to pray for you about. But we're going to stand and we're going to sing right after I pray for us. And what I just want to encourage you to do is simply this. Quit playing for your name. And play for the name of Jesus. Two, three, four. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this week's message, share it with a friend. To stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram at UGABCM. We hope to see you next Monday night at Gathering.